Amen. And we thank you, Lord, that you do stand by our side in the midst of trials and difficulty of life. We thank you that as believers and as your children that we're never alone. We ask right now that as we go to this time in your word, that you administer to every heart that's here. We thank you that you know exactly where we are in life, exactly what we're going through, that your word and your timing is always perfect. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And again, if you didn't get a Bible, raise your hand because you'll need one. And if you do have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 13. We continue our verse-by-verse study right through the New Testament. If you're new here, we just go right through the Bible because every single letter, every single word is from God. And He desires that we be taught and counseled the whole counsel of God, not just some of it. So we go right to the Word. And I find it interesting that, again, here we are on Independence Day, and we're looking at submitting to the authorities that God has placed over us in Romans 13. So the title of the message today is, is The Heart of Submission. And I want to catch this up, but I want you to see real clearly just the context of, of what's happening. As we've been going through Romans, again, the, the Gospels are the story of Jesus Christ, and I encourage you, if you're new in your faith, or maybe you don't even consider yourself to be a Christian yet, read the Gospels. The Gospel of John is a great place to begin to really see the person of Christ and why He came. We then got to the book of Acts after Jesus ascended back into heaven, after He suffered and died on the cross for our sin. He then rose, the dead, rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven, and He left the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of the church. And as you know, if, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And we saw in the book of Acts, God turned the world right side up or upside down, depending on how you look at it. And we saw the world being transformed as these, these men and women filled with the Holy Spirit were speaking the truth without compromise. We then get to Romans, and now we see Paul writing this letter to the church in Rome. It's an epistle, which just means a letter. And he's writing to them the basic doctrinal or biblical truths for us to understand what it means to walk with God. The first 11 chapters really speak about doctrinal truth or biblical truth. Now, what does he talk about? Again, real briefly, the first three chapters talk about the doctrine of sin, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Then from chapters 4 through 6, he talks about salvation. That yes, we are sinners, but praise God, there's an answer. Jesus died that we might have eternal life. He then moves on and talks about the doctrine of sanctification. So not only are we sinners and we've been saved by God's grace, but now we're to live lives set apart from the world. Sanctification is not just Christ dying for me, but Christ living in me. And so if you've been born again, it's again more than just knowing about Him or having an understanding of who He is, but understanding why He came. We then moved on to the doctrine of sovereignty, and this means that God is in control. And maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life right now. I want you to know that God is completely and totally in control of everything at all times. And you might say, man, that just doesn't seem right sometimes in my life. Well, it says in Romans 8 that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I want you to see that and make a point, though, that if you're living in rebellion to God and you're disobeying Him and the consequences come, that's not as much God's sovereignty, because He is sovereign and in control, but the reason that that happens is because of your rebellion, and it's the consequences of sin. And you know what? God is a loving God. He loves us enough that the Bible says, those whom He loves, He, what? He chastens or disciplines. And because He loves us, He pulls us out of the freeway sometimes, right? So before the bus hits us, because He's a loving and a gracious God. So we saw the doctrine of sin, 
the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification, and then the doctrine of sovereignty. Now, the good news is that along with God's sovereignty, we see that he very clearly makes it the point that we are also humanly responsible. He offers salvation to all mankind. It's offered to all of us, but it must be accepted individually. So God is in control, but he will force his will upon nobody. So if you're here today, he loves you. Now you have a choice to make. What are you going to do with the Lord? You're going to follow him? You're going to serve him? You're going to invite him to be your savior? You're going to seek after him with your whole heart? Are you going to rebe- you know, walk away from Him, rebel against Him? And so we saw all of the, this truth being given to us. Now we understand how the, the, the truth of the Word, but now how are you and I supposed to live? How do we respond to, to this biblical truth? And that's what chapter 12 through chapter 16 talks about. And now last week in chapter 12, what we saw was the, the beginning of, of not just what we believe, but how do we behave. Now that we understand the the doctrine, what is the duty? How do we respond to God? And so we saw the beginning of that last two weeks, and the first thing that we are called to do is how we relate to God as we are present ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. To say, Lord, it's not just, the, as you've heard me say a hundred times, not just the get-out-of-hell-free card and the, you know, the heaven at the end and living like the world, but Lord, I don't just want you to save me, but Lord, I give my life to you completely. I give you my body, I give you my will, I give you my mind. Lord, I'm yours, I belong to you. You know what, I can think of no better place, there is no better place than to place your trust and to place your hope and to put your life. Put your life into the hands of the Lord. If you put your life into the hands of your career, into the hands of a relationship, your finances in the bank, whatever it might be, all those things can fail you, but God never will. And he simply says, trust me. And give your life to Him. In 1 Corinthians it says, You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And then He told us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. If you don't realize this, you need to open your eyes, but the world is in rebellion against God. Amen? Does the world love God? Is the world following God? Is the world seeking after God? The answer is no. The world is in rebellion against God, and He said, He told us to be in the world, but not of the world, and to be not conformed to this world, which is what the world wants you to do. The world wants to tell you how to dress, how to live, how to talk, what to do, what to think, and the Lord says, don't be conformed to this world, you be transformed. And as I said a few weeks ago, we went through the text, you're either a thermometer or you're a thermostat, right? A thermometer just simply reflects what's going on around it. It has no control. It just simply, if it's 80, it says 80. A thermostat impacts what's going on around it. And as Christians, we shouldn't reflect what's going on around us. We should impact what's going on around us. Our relationship to God should impact the people that we come into contact with. And then secondly, we saw in chapter 12 that not only are we to present our bodies to Christ, but we are to use the gifts that God has given us. How many of you know that if if you've been born again, you've been called to do ministry? Amen? The ministry is not something the pastor does or the pastors do, or a few people in the church do. We're all called. God saved us to use us. And God, when He saved you, He gave you spiritual gifts. And most of you, He's given many spiritual gifts. And as we talk about frequently, when you come to church, certainly the the gifts are to be used here, but you use those gifts at work, and you use them in your home, and you use them in your neighborhood. And begin with the practical gifts. If you don't know where to start, just say, Lord, here I am, use me. And just begin in a real practical way. Most people that I've seen that are really involved in ministry in a, in a big way always started doing something practical. 
Just saying, you know what, I'll come early and set up chairs. You know, I'll, I'll be involved in editing tape. Well, how can I help? How can I begin? How can I start? And then just be faithful with the gifts God's given you, and He will give you more gifts, and He will use you in a greater way. Then last week, I titled the message, Be the Moon. If you weren't here, what does that mean? We reflect the what? The sun. Just as the moon is a reflection of the S-U-N, we are reflections of the S-O-N. And when people see us, they ought to see Christ in us. A reflection of Christ through us as we're living out our lives every day. And we saw some real, just practical stuff for Christians last week. How do we live that life every single day? And just a few of them. He told us to love, to love selflessly and unconditionally. Love does not place conditions. Not, the, not agape love, not God's love. It doesn't have conditions. It loves unconditionally. We're to be kind and affectionate, esteeming others greater than ourselves. Diligent, doing all we do as unto the Lord. Fervent in spirit, the word there is boiling. You should be boiling over and impacting the world around you. Again, based on the truth that you're a sinner saved by grace, you're born again, you're going to heaven, you're a new creation in Christ, it ought to impact on the way we live, amen? It ought to impact the way we respond to people around us. We rejoice in hope because we have the promise of heaven. We can be patient in the midst of difficulty because we know that God is in control. We'll talk more about that. We're to minister to the needs of others in a practical way. We're to bless those who persecute us. How many of you find that to be hard? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying, okay? The reality is that it's so hard to love people who desire to do you harm. But that's exactly what we saw in Romans 12. We're to love those who persecute us. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, one of the things that blesses me, went to a, a friend's birthday party yesterday, and he was just saying how much easier things are because of the family that he has at church. And that's the way it ought to be, amen? Going through a difficult time and, and knowing that you've got family at church that loves you, that comes alongside of you. It's been said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood, amen? And we've got Jesus in common. We should be able to hold up each other's hands and encourage one another. And you know, there may be times when God's using you to encourage a brother or a sister, and that person will turn around and be the one that's ministering right back to you a month later when you're going through a difficulty. So we don't need to go through things alone. Our difficulties should be halved, and our rejoicing should be doubled as we share them together. We're to remain, hum we're to remain humble. We're to not to respond the way that the world would respond. We're not to, to seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Dave. No, that's not what the Bible says. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We need to leave that in God's hands. And it's so hard sometimes not to want to get even, because that's our flesh. We actually rejoice when somebody that's done us wrong gets harmed. But that's not God's heart. And then we respond again, not with evil, but with good. And what's awesome about all this, who fulfilled every bit of that? Jesus Christ did. He was persecuted and he responded in love. He loved people unconditionally. He wept with those who wept, and He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. Jesus is the perfect picture of everything we saw in Romans chapter 12. So now as we get to Romans 13, we're going to continue to look at the practical application in our lives as born-again Christians. So now how do we live? We've been born again. We're new creations in Christ. We understand the truth of God's Word. How should it impact how I live every single day? We're going to look that, at, that as sinners saved by grace... Deserving of eternal punishment, God has a plan for our lives. And He's going to use us for His glory if we will let Him. So now we're going to look at the heart of submission. And we're going to go through this today, and we don't like that word. We just don't. 
We do not want to submit. We don't want to put someone else in charge. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to be on the throne. And it's very difficult, especially to submit to somebody or to something that we don't agree with. And we're going to talk about that this morning, that as Christians, God has called us to be salt and light. And God has called us to submit to the authorities placed over us, to esteem others greater than ourselves, and to do it all with anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. Have an eternal perspective, and it makes it easy to submit to things that are not eternal. So let's begin in verse 1 of Romans 13. The heart of submission, learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. And we'll begin by submitting to those in authority. As believers, what's our role in society? How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to live? There is a practical application of God's Word. Look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, every soul, who would that include? I've had people tell me, well, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, Every soul, that'd be you, amen? So let every soul, all of us, everybody, all-inclusive, then it says, be subject to the governing authorities. The word there, be subject, in Greek, is a word used of a soldier's absolute obedience to a superior officer. So who are the governing authorities? Every position of civil authority, no matter how competent or seemingly incompetent they may be. You ever had somebody that's ruling that you thought, guys, you know, a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, right? Guys, just not, elevator's not going all the way up, and you're just like, man, why do I got to submit to this guy? Because God told us to. Amen? But Pastor Dave, are you trying to tell, well, we're going to talk about this, because every authority does come from God. Every authority. And again, you may struggle, we'll go through this in depth. God is in control. Does God know who the next president of the United States is going to be? Of course he does, he's God. And you can't vote God out of office, and no matter who it is, God is still in control, and God is still in charge. Amen? Now, do we have to agree with everything that our president represents, or everybody in our city government represents? No. But are we to be submitted to them? The answer is yes. Do we have to agree with every, you know, when the police officer pulls you over speeding down the freeway? Do you have to agree with the fact that he said you were going 80? You may not agree, but you're still to submit to the authority that God's placed over you. And we see four specific authorities that are spoken of in the Word. In Acts chapter 2, we see the authority, authority in the church. God brings authority within believers that we might be submitted one to another. That we might have those who God has called to lead and God has called to minister truth to us and that we go to. We also see godly authority in the family. Now again, this isn't popular in the world we live in today, but God has called the man to be the head of the household. Amen? I didn't hear very many female voices there. Amen? All right, word up. Okay, I know you know that. Now, guys, I want to say this, though. The Bible says that wives are submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. But husbands are supposed to be submitted to the Lord, and we'll talk about that some more as well. Children are supposed to be submitted to their parents. I know you're 14 or 15 or 12, and you think you got it all figured out, but I promise you, mom and dad have been placed there by God because they know more than you do. Amen? Amen, youth group in the back? All right. They're all back there. I didn't hear one. Did you hear anything from back there? I didn't either. Children, submit to your parents. As, amen. Hey, boy, Matthew. Children, submit to your parents as unto the Lord. 
And so that authority in your life, whether it be the husband that God gave you or the, or the, the, the government officials that are over you or the parents that God has given you, God has called you to submit to them. Also, what about your employer? In the Bible, it talks about the word for master. But today, the best application for that would be your employer. And God has called us to submit to our employer. Now, there are exceptions to all of this, and we'll talk about this in a minute. And then finally, the government over the citizens. Every authority and every aspect of your life was placed there by God. And as followers of the Lord, we are to willingly and joyfully submit to every single one of them. Again, it's hard because we want to be in charge. We want to be esteemed by the world. We want to be on the throne. We want to be recognized. We want to be honored. We want to be praised. And, but a lack of submission is really one word. It's pride. What got Satan, Lucifer at the time, the angel, what got him thrown out of heaven is, what, is lack of submission. He would not esteem God greater than himself. And because of that, he was thrown out of heaven. And he was the most beautiful of the angels, the Bible says. And he was, you know, the, the, the highest of the angels. And he was, had so much going for him, in a sense, that he allowed pride to rise up within him. And the same can be true of us. We can think we've got so much going for ourselves that we don't need to submit to anybody else. But that's pride. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before our fall. Who's the ultimate example? Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's Almighty God. And He's the perfect example of both love and submission. God in the flesh, creator of the universe. And in Matthew 26, He said, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. But nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. Amen? Jesus is the example. He was going through a tough, you know, the most difficult of circumstances, but He trusted in the Father. He submitted to the Father even unto death. And in His sovereignty, the same God who numbers the hairs on your head knows every authority that's in your life, and He's placed them there. That unreasonable boss, God put him in your life. An unsaved mom and dad, God put him in your life. A contentious husband or wife, God put him in your, in your life. A godless government official, all placed in our lives by God, and our submission to them will ultimately work for God's glory. The word meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means strength under control. Strength under control of the master. Submitted to the master not because of weakness, but because we understand his faithfulness. And that's what God has called us to be. When we're submitted, you know what we're saying? God, I trust you. You know what, Lord? I know you're in control. I believe you. Even though my boss is a jerk, Lord, I trust you. Amen? Even though my husband just doesn't quite get it sometimes, Lord, I trust you. Even though that cop is wrong and it was the other guy driving down the road that was really going that fast, Lord, I trust you. Amen? And even though the president or the city official or the governor or whoever it might be is so far away from the truth, Lord, I know that you're faithful and you're in control and no one will ever vote you out of office and I trust you. Because... God, you love us so much. You don't have to strive. You don't have to make your point. You don't have to defend your position. Isn't that hard? We want to strive. We want to knock the walls down. That's just not fair. I'm going to fight for the, what's right. And hey, again, there's times for us to stand up for truth. But it's not time for us to strive in the flesh and do things according to our own will. One of the things I tell myself repeatedly as I pray, one of the things that's always on my heart, Lord, help me not to strive in my flesh. Because that's something that your pastor can do very easily. Let, you know, go out and make it happen. 
But God desires that we submit to Him. Submit, pray, trust God. Your submission will bring others to the point of understanding and knowing the Savior that you serve. It says, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And praise God that He is in control. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So when you resist the authority that God's placed over you in your life, then you're resisting God. So when you resist your boss, when you resist your husband, when you resist your parents, when you resist the governing authorities, you're resisting God because He's the one that put them in your life. Those are hard words, huh? It's not always easy. To trust that. So wait a minute. So Pastor Dave, you're telling me if I lived in Germany during the time of Hitler, if I lived in Iraq when Saddam was in charge, well, there is an exception, and I told you that, and here's the exception. The exception is, and Scripture makes it very clear, when obedience to civil authority, or even parental authority, or even marital authority, tells us or requires us to disobey God. When that happens, that authority is not authority anymore. If the government came out and said it is now against the law for you to have church on Sunday, and it's against the law to be a Christian, and it's against the law to read your Bible, well, you better send me, as Pastor Chuck said, you better send me a cake with a file in it because you know where I'll be, right? The reality is if they start outlawing loving God, if they start outlawing reading your word, that's when we stand up and say, no, we're not going to obey that because we obey God, amen? And the same is true Again, when, and you look in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 1, remember the Hebrew midwives were told to put the babies to death. And the Lord put it on their heart and they, they refused to obey the king when he said, kill all the babies. He said, we're not going to do it because that's contrary to what God would tell us to do. We're just not going to do it. And God honored that. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to the golden idol. Do you remember that story? King Nebuchadnezzar put up a golden idol of himself and said, if you don't bow, we're throwing you in the fire. Throw us in. Throw us in. Because we're not going to bow to false idols. We are submitted to you, O king, until you tell us to do something, something contrary to what God has told us to do. That's when we say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to follow you. And you remember what happened? He threw him in the fire. And I love this because he said, who is the God that will come against me? You know, Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? King Nebuchadnezzar, puffed up, right? He throws him in the fire, and you know the story that he looks into the fire, and they say to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we throw three in the fire, and now there's four? Didn't we throw them in bound? And the fourth one is in the likeness of the Son of God. Who was in the fire with him? Jesus, 600 years before he came to earth. You've got to love it. And what I love about it is, King Nebuchadnezzar went from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands, to come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Why? Because these guys stood up for truth in the midst of difficulty and said, we're going to honor God. And King Nebuchadnezzar's life was transformed because they stood up for the truth. So we are to submit to authority until they tell us to deny God. Daniel was told to stop praying. We know the story. Daniel said, I'm not going to stop praying. Matter of fact, I'm going to open my door just like I always do, and I'm going to pray out loud. And they came and they threw him in the lion's den, and we know what happened. God shut the mouths of the lions. The king, Darius, who had ordered him to be thrown in, even against his own will, was up all night pacing in the palace and was in torment, and Daniel was napping with the lions. Why? Because it's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. Amen? 
It's better because we know who God is faithful. We know that God is in control. We know God is with us. So we submit to authority until they tell us to deny our Savior. But until they do, we are called to submit. In Acts chapter 5, it said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Talking to the apostles. And look, you filled Jerusalem with the doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. That's where the line breaks, guys. We are to, now I, I, you, I hope you don't feel like I'm giving you a mixed message this morning. My heart was, I'm teaching you, telling you what the Bible says, submit to the authority God has placed over you, but the Bible also says, until they tell you to live contrary to what God has commanded us. So we submit to them until your boss tells you that, okay, here's what I want you to do, and it's unethical. He wants you to lie and cheat and steal to sell something. You say, I'm not doing that. Because I honor God, and I obey Him. And I'm not going to obey you when you tell me to do something contrary to God's will. There, are, there is a time when wives, when children are not to submit. When? If a husband told a wife to, to lie, if a husband told a wife to stop serving God, if a husband told a wife to prostitute herself, if a husband told his, told his wife to perform an illegal or ungodly act. Children, the same way. Kids would come to me and say, they're 17, 18 years old, and they'd say, my, mo my mom and dad told me I can't be a Christian. I'm like, well, okay. They said, I can't go to church. I can't be a Christian. I said, well, at 17 and at home, you may have a hard time not going to church. They may not be, no, let you out of the house. But here's the reality. They can't stop you from serving God. They can't stop you from reading your Bible. And you should tell them, mom and dad, I love you, and I honor you. But I'm not going to honor you in the area of telling me not to serve God because as much as I love you, Mom and Dad, I love God more. Amen? God must be first above all else. But after that, we are to submit to those that have been placed in authority over us. You know what? It's interesting that even the ungodly kings, God used them for His glory. Even King Saul being ungodly, God used that for His glory ultimately. And even Adolf Hitler, as vile as that human being was, do you know that if Hitler had not attacked the Jews in the way that he did, there would be no Israel today? Because in 1948, the, the League of Nations, there was a, a sentiment toward the Jews that allowed the reestablishment of the Jewish nation because of the heinous crimes against them. That does not excuse Hitler. And Hitler, and again, only God can judge people's destination, but I pretty, think it's pretty safe to say Hitler is experiencing the fire that he put the Jews through right about now. Amen? And so here's reality, that God is still in control even when ungodly kings are in charge. Even when, we, when, we're, when, when immorality is running rampant, God is still faithful and God is still in control and we can still turn to Him and praise God for that. When Paul wrote this, you know who, the, who, he, who his ruler was? You might say, well, Paul's outside of his mind. He didn't know who our president was going to be. He didn't know who our governor was going to be. He didn't know. When he wrote this, there was a Caesar by the name of Nero. Ever heard of him? You know what Nero did with Christians? He dipped them in wax and set them on fire to light his garden. That's a fact. He was the one that threw the Christians to the lions. And Paul is writing, submit to the authorities that God has placed over you in the midst of that. We're supposed to be different than the world, you guys. We're supposed to submit. We're not supposed to question authority, resist authority. We're to submit to authority. We're to be ministers of reconciliation, not confrontation. In Jesus' day, a time of idol worship, ungodly authority, moral depravity, abortion, temple prostitution, 
Jesus focused on touching and transforming lives, not a political agenda. Did Jesus run for office? Did he promote people for office? Now I'm saying, should we vote? Yes. Should we be faithful in those areas? Absolutely. Is that where our hope lies? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Billy Graham could be the next president. It's still not the answer. What the answer is, is Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead, and us being salt and light in a world that so desperately needs him. Amen? That's the answer. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. God established government because man is sinful and must have an authority over him. And even the most wicked and godless governments act as a deterrent to crime. Peaceful law-abiding citizens need not fear the authorities. It's interesting. The place that we all can relate to. How do you respond when you're driving down the freeway and you see a police officer in your rearview mirror? Brakes, right? It's amazing. The instant brakes, right? And everybody, you know, right? Are you driving along and you see one behind a billboard? Oh, right? Now, if you see a police officer and they're driving the speed limit, there's no fear. Amen? Well, that's great. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he's out here, right? Keep these speeders from crashing into my car, right? The reality is that, that, again, if we're walking with God, then we have no fear. But those who are outside of God's will, those who are outside of the, the, the laws of man, need to fear the authority. We should view the authority as a blessing from God instead of something that, you know, oh, you know, and having rebellion against the authority that God has placed over us. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. The fact is that as we follow God, and as we're faithful and obedient, we submit the authorities God has placed over us, we will have a good name before men, and it will be an opportunity for the gospel. Verse 4, For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do, do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Do you think that there's any chance that these verses come right after, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says what? The Lord. And we see in this verse, what does it say? He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now again, some of you may or may not agree with your pastor on this, and that's okay. But I believe this is clearly a verse that points to God's ordained institution of capital punishment. What does it say here? How else can you interpret that verse? For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. On the word there, he who bears the sword. The sword. Bear the sword symbolizes government's right to inflict punishment on wrongdoers, especially capital punishment. If you do evil, be afraid. You do evil, understand that judgment is coming, both here and in eternity. To execute wrath, one of the main reasons for the establishment of government. The Bible says in Genesis 9, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Now, just so you know, your pastor's heart, for four and a half years, I did prison ministry where I went in every Tuesday night in Lancaster Federal Penitentiary and taught a Bible study. And in that prison, there was a death row. And whenever they would allow me, I would go to death row and share Jesus with those guys. But at the same time, I believe the Bible clearly says that sin has consequences. And if I go out and kill 27 people and they judge me to death, I don't see that as injustice at all. I don't. 
God's faithful. Now that man still has an opportunity to know God, amen? And God still desires that, he, and if he repents, he can still be born again. But we see very clearly from Scripture that God has placed authority there, and that authority is, is uh, able to execute God's judgment. Verse 5, Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So be in submission, not just, not just because you're afraid of being punished. That's not honor, is it? And it's kind of like if my kids only obey me because they're afraid of a swat, right? Do they really honor mom and dad? I better do it, I'm thinking, you know, right? You know, or, or doing it with this attitude, you know, all right, I'll go do it. Is that honor? No. Doing it, but you're not honoring me. And we do the same thing with God. All right, God, I know you want me to do that, and I'll go do it. That's not honoring the Lord. And we don't do it just because we're f- afraid of punishment, but for conscience sake. The word, again, who is, the con- who is our conscience? The Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we're to be obedient not just because we're afraid of the judgment of men, but because we're walking in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's been said that a clear conscience is a soft pillow. And I like that. It's easy to go to bed at night knowing, hey, the Lord's faithful and I'm serving Him. And I'm not perfect, but when I blow it, I repent. I'm seeking after Him with my whole heart. I have nothing to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of peace and of of joy and of a sound mind. A clear conscience makes it easy for us to rest in Him. Verse 6. For because of this you also... Oh, oh, oh. What does this say? People can get upset right here. All right, here we go. For because of this you also pay taxes if you feel like it. Is that what it says? Oh, Pastor Dave, I was with you till you got to this. Look, the Lord is very clear in what He taught and, what he, and what he, the example that he gave, we are to pay our taxes. Amen? We are. As Christians, we're not supposed to revolt. It cracks me up, and some of you may be a part of it. I love you anyway, okay, and God bless you. But there's always this thing, and I always get attacked with it. Well, there's this thing. Let me show you. Look, it's not, it's not a requirement that we pay taxes, and here's really the law. Let me show you the thing, and you know, oh, it's, all, it's all conspiracy, and we don't have to pay it. And I've had Christians come to me for the last 20 years with that, and let me just tell you something. God wants us to pay our taxes, so let's pay them. Whose money is it? Who provided it for us? Why don't we trust Him with it, amen? What it, when, do you remember when they came to Him, and He says, should we pay taxes unto Caesar? Well, no, it's an illegal tax. There's a loophole. Let me tell you about it. That's not what he said, is it? What did he say? He said, give me a coin. And I, I find that, that comedy because Jesus, unlike what some people would teach you, was not wealthy, wasn't driving in a Rolls Royce and living in a 97,000 square foot house, right? He had to say, give me a coin. That means he didn't have one, right? So he turned and said, give me a coin. The guy gave him a coin. He looked on it and said, whose image is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Amen? This, the money that we have, again, it's just a tool that, is you, that we can use for God's glory. But the reality is, it's not eternal. And you give unto Caesar what is in the image of Caesar, and you give unto God what is in the image of God, and whose image were you created in? In God's image. So you give the money to Caesar, and you give yourself to God. 
Amen? Now, we're to take the money and use it for God's glory, and we take it and be good stewards of it because it all belongs to the Lord, and we use it and give it to things that will prosper His kingdom, but we're also called to be obedient, to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us and pay our taxes. The Bible says so. So I don't care what loophole you find. What does the Bible say? I'm going to err on the side of the Bible. Amen? I'm going to be obedient to this and stand before God having been obedient to this. The Bible's very clear. And Jesus is very clear. The word there, look at verse 7. Render, therefore, all their due. The word render in Greek means to pay something that is owed. So it's owed. We owe it. We must pay it. And even if we don't necessarily agree with all that they do with our taxes, part of it is used for the law enforcement. Part of it is used for the fire department. You know, part of it is used to pave our roads. Part of it is used for public schools, whatever you think of that at this point, right? But part of it is used for things that do bless us, but we're still called by God to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, to give it away. It all belongs to the Lord anyway. That which is due, the apostle reiterates the paying of taxes is mandatory. Give them what is all their due. Taxes to whom are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Taxes would be best thought of as income tax, and customs would be the customs when we come into the country, but also more along the lines of sales tax. When you buy something, there are taxes that are due, pay it. Now, can I, you know, don't get upset with me, but, you know, some of us, sometimes we'll go register our car in Oregon. What are we doing? We're trying to get over, right? The reality is, that's lying. Do you live in Oregon? No. Should you pay your taxes in California? Yeah. But it's going to be a couple thousand. Well, there it is. Yes, it is. We're to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. Amen? Do I like paying my taxes? Absolutely not. Does it make me sick that some of my tax money is used for abortions? Without a doubt. It makes me sick to my stomach. But I know what the Bible says. Submit to the authority that God's placed over us. Pay your taxes. Okay, Lord. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to pay them. Okay? So, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. God demands that we should sincerely respect and have an attitude of high esteem for those who've been placed in authority. As Christians, you get pulled over by a police officer, you ought to, you ought to be the most pleasant occurrence of his day. Oh, man. I don't think I'm that saved, right? I mean, here's the reality. You get pulled over, and now, can I, I'm going to confess, you already know your pastor's a, a, a very... Uh, sinful man, okay? This will just add to what you already know. I'm 26, 27 years old. I'm driving to work. I lived in Lancaster, Palmdale, which is out in the desert, 72-mile commute to Woodland Hills. And the, the, the road I rode on was literally a racetrack. I mean, it's out in the desert. There's no cars, for, or no houses for like 60 miles. There's nothing. Dirt, right? And then more houses. And so we're just driving, and in the morning, I mean, everybody, right down the road. And, you know, have you ever heard that? Well, I'm just going with the flow of traffic. <laughs> you know, if I drive too slow, then I'll be causing an accident. So I'm just being the obedient person that I am. I'm just going. So I'm driving along, and I happen to be teaching the youth group at the time. Most of you know I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I'm teaching the youth group through Romans. And I have my Bible sitting in my front seat, open to Romans chapter 13, where I was going to be teaching that evening. This is a Tuesday. I'm driving along, all of a sudden, whoo, cop, you know, and, and he drives by four or five other people that I thought were going faster than I was, and pulls me over. 
And so your pastor has a bit of an attitude. Well, that ain't right. Those guys are going fast. That guy in the blue car passed me. I saw him. I'm t- you know, right? Now, when confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, we can accuse others, or we can repent. Well, I went through the gambit because the first thing I did was he, he, he comes up to my door and he says, Mr. Johnston, uh, you were the fact that this is a 65-mile-an-hour zone and you were going 82 miles an hour. My response was, well, I was just going the same speed as everybody else. When confronted with sin, you can make excuses. Accuse others. I accuse, well, I was just driving with the flow of traffic. And then he said, you know, you seem to be giving me a little bit of an attitude here. I noticed when I pulled you over that you had a Christian fish on the back of your car. Oh. (laughs) I happen to notice here that you've got your Bible in the front seat and Imagine, it's in Romans chapter 13. Doesn't Romans 13 say something about submitting to the authorities that God has placed over you? Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm done, right? Officer, you're right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Oh, you're right. I'm done. Game over, right? The reality is that as believers, we should submit to the authorities and esteem them and give them the honor that they are due. We shouldn't be calling police officers, you know, names for swine. Amen. We should not be looking down on government. We should be praying for those in the government. We should be praying for those who've been placed in authority over us, and we should be honoring them. Amazingly enough, the guy did not give me a ticket because I repented. He was showing me mercy, okay? <laughs> so, along with submitting, God's called us to submit to the authority God's placed over us. He's also called us to esteem others greater than ourselves. Look at verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You know what? Owe no man anything. Now, some believe this prohibits believers from ever taking out a loan of any kind. That's not what it's talking about. Now, I will say this. I believe it's a great principle to owe as little as possible. Amen? You know, there was a time when I knew I was called into ministry, and I, you know, quote, couldn't do ministry because I had what are called golden handcuffs. I was so indebted to my house and my car payments and all this other stuff that I had to have a job. And and my house, sadly, because in Lancaster, the market went upside down, Lockheed closed a bunch of jobs, and all these houses were empty, that my house dropped in value to where it was worth way less than I I owed on it. and, And I was stuck. Because I had borrowed so much money, I couldn't do what I knew God was telling me to do because I had to pay off my debts first. Can I encourage you? Make sure you pray before you go into debt with anything. Now, do I believe that sometimes it's the best stewardship to own a house and have a mortgage? Yes, I do. I do. But make sure you've heard from the Lord. Amen? Make sure before you get in debt that you've heard from God that this is being a good steward of your finances. Okay? That being said, just don't... Often what we do is we make the mistake of getting so indebted, get so indebted that we're handcuffed from doing what God wants us to do. We spend so much money buying things we don't need to impress people we don't know, right? That we can't do what God has called us to do. But in light of all Scripture, it says this, Give to him who asks you from you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. It says in Luke, If you lend to those whom you have hope to receive back, what credit is it to you? The Bible says in Psalm, not to put your money out at usury. So I believe what it's talking about here is that as Christians, we are to pay what we owe on time. Amen? So if you sign something 
I don't care what happens to the market, you owe the money according to the Bible. Amen? You owe it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, if somebody wants to come and forgive you, that's between them and you. If they want to do that, that's fine. But what I'm saying is your intent ought to be, I'm going to pay, I owe, I'm going to pay. You know, and God will honor that. It's not always easy, I know. As Christians, we should be very careful with debt. Don't fall into the worldly trap. But look what he's really talking about, okay? What he's really talking about is, owe no man anything except to what? Love one another. Here's a debt we all have. We are all called by God to love one another. The key to submission is love. The word there for love is agape, a love of heavenly origin that selflessly loves something outside of itself more than itself, a love that a mother has for its child. How much do you moms love your kids? If the, if the baby's crying at three, you get up. You don't say, call me back at six. <laughs> that love is unconditional. You love that baby so much you can't stand it, right? And that's the love it's talking about. Love for one another. Loving something outside of yourself more than yourself. It's the same word that's in John 3.16. For God so agape, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, owe no man anything except to love one another the way Christ loves us. Owe no man anything except to love selflessly, to esteem others greater than yourself. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now look at some of the law. He gives a, he gives a abbreviated portion of the law here. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws that have been given, according to the Jews, are 613 laws. All the laws that have been given can be summed up in one word, and the word is love. If you love people, you won't steal from them. If you love people the way God wants you to love them, you're certainly not going to kill anybody. Amen? If you love people the way God wants you to love them, you're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to lie to them. If you love people the way God wants you to love them, you're not going to cheat on your boss. You're not going to cheat on your family. If you have supernatural love, it'll take care of the rest of it. Because God's love transforms your life. Again, though I speak with tongues of men and angels... But if I have not love, I'm nothing but a clanging symbol, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have the greatest gifts in the world, and if you don't love people, it's meaningless. You can get up on a box and speak truth all you want, but you need to do it in love. Our motto here at Calvary San Jose, Santa Cruz, where am I? Calvary Santa Cruz is preach the word, what? Love the people. Because it's delivering the truth in love. It's got to be both. It's the key. Verse 11, verse 10. Love does, not, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew 22, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and, first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The heart of submission loves and esteems others greater than himself. If you love your boss who is a jerk, you'll be burdened for his salvation, you'll be praying for him, and you will submit to him even though 
in your mind he doesn't deserve it. Love is the key. Love is the key. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. If the Holy Spirit's living inside of me, then love ought to be pouring out of me. You know what? Nothing worse than people knowing you're a Christian and you responding to them in anger. You've blown your testimony. We should respond in love. We should respond with grace. We are to love people the way that Christ loves us. We are to be ministers of reconciliation, of the good news. Love people and let God judge them. Now lastly, not only we should submit to those in authority and esteem others greater than ourselves, the last four verses, we're to do it all in anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. And that makes it really a lot easier to submit and a lot easier to love when you know where you're headed and you know where your focus ought to be. Look at verse 11. And do this knowing that the time knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Heart of submission out of love for the Lord in anticipation of a soon return, that when He returns, the Bible says we should be found doing. Not waiting, but working. Amen? You know, when people say, I'm going to go sit up on a mountain and get in a lotus position and hum till God comes back. I think you missed it. Amen? I don't get it. I don't get the whole monastery. Pro- that makes no sense to me. God did not call us to go hide somewhere and wait for Him to come back. He told us to be salt and light. Amen? And when He comes back, we should not be found waiting. We should be found working and be found faithful. And He says, in anticipation, wake up. Don't be asleep spiritually. Don't live in apathy and, and lethargy. Oh, it's no hurry. I'm just chilling. Just chilling until God comes back right? God doesn't want us chilling. He wants us doing. Amen? He wants us to be faithful. Not be carnally and fleshly minded, focus on the physical, but focus on spiritual things. Have our eyes so set on Him that we don't miss out on opportunities day by day. Verse 12, but the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The night is far spent. That means that the time is near. And it is. It's nearer now than when Paul wrote this, and it's nearer now than when this message started. Amen? The reality is we're closer every moment to Christ coming back. And may we be found working when He returns. But it says here, cast off the works of darkness. Because Christ is coming back, Paul exhorts believers to repent and forsake their sin. You know what? I would love when the Lord comes back for me to be witnessing, how about you? I would love for him to come back and find me in, my, in the Word, find me praying, find me worshiping. I don't want him coming back, finding me in a fist fight in the street out in front of my house. Amen? I don't want him coming back, you know, with, and I don't do this by, the, by God's grace, sitting in front of my computer looking at pornography. I don't want him coming back, finding me cursing out my boss. I don't want him coming back, finding me being an ungodly dad. I don't want him coming back finding out I'm not a husband who's loving and ministering and serving my wife. God says to set aside and push aside that stuff. He's coming soon. Let's live for him. Amen? Let's take that stuff that gets our eyes off of him and throw it aside. It's only going to bring you harm. Sin promises you pleasure, but only brings you harm. Your flesh will never be satisfied. And he says, put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? It's 
putting on the whole armor of God and entering into battle with the sense of urgency that Christ is returning. And it could also be a reference to the protection of walking in holiness, that walking in holiness provides. You know, just as when I'm driving down the freeway going 55 and a police officer pulls up next to me, that I rejoice to see him, I'm fine with it. The same is true that when I'm walking in the center of God's will, that I'm blessed to spend time in his presence. Amen? But if I'm in total rebellion against him, I don't even want to see any of my Christian friends. Amen? There are certain people I know, friends of mine, that they disappear for lengths of time. And I know what's going on because I'm the last guy they want to talk to if they're doing something that they know I'm going to question them about. So, you got a new girlfriend. Tell me about her. Well, where did you meet her? Uh, at a restaurant? You mean a bar? Well, no, yeah, I mean at a bar. You know, and the reality is, again, I love you, bro, but there's certain people, you know, they're going to ask you questions. I just ain't going nowhere, nowhere near that guy. But I'll tell you what, you rejoice when you know that you're walking with the Lord, amen? And again, we should seek to other others, because we do all sin, you guys. We're not sinless, we do sin less, but here's the reality. As Christians, we should seek others to keep us accountable, because sin will bring us harm, left unchecked, amen? The Holy Spirit convicts us from within, and God brings believers to encourage and, and you know, exhort us from without, amen? I need that. I desire it, and may we all. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day. Let us walk properly as in the day. Live sanctified lives that are set apart to the Lord, in the world but not of the world. Inward transformation should, again, produce outward behavior. Then he says, not in revelry. The word revelry there is drunkenness. Revelry and drunkenness. Wild parties, brawls, riots. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? Again, Pastor Day's opinion, all right? I'll step over here. Pastor Day's opinion, all right? As Christians, I don't get drinking alcohol. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Now, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And it doesn't say you can't have a glass of wine with dinner. And if you've prayed about it and you feel peace about it, then that's between you and the Lord. But I know this. If you don't have the first glass of wine, you'll never get drunk. It's impossible. Isn't it? And I also know this. If I don't have the first glass of wine, I won't stumble other people who struggle with alcohol. Amen? And so if I just set all that aside, it just removes me from stumbling others. It removes the opportunity for me ever to get drunk. It removes the opportunity for ever. It's just a good thing, right? If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't need it. Amen? Now, Pastor Dave getting legalistic. No, I'm encouraging you and exhorting you that error on the side of holiness, error on the... I won't even drink a non-alcoholic beer or a non-alcoholic anything because to me it's just pretending to do something I don't need to be doing anyway. Amen? So I just, just get rid of all of it. Just take it out of here. Now, again, if you've prayed about it and you have a glass of wine with dinner with your wife once in a while, that's between you and the Lord, and I'm certainly not condemning you for that. But I just encourage you to pray about it, okay? But it says here, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust. Lewdness and lust, again, sexual immorality. The Bible says to flee youthful lust. Don't camp out near it. Don't spend time with it. Flee from it. And again, the epidemic of pornography on the internet is, is just sad. Hey guys, if you're here and you're struggling with that, go to another brother. It doesn't have to be me. Go to another brother and say, you know what, can you keep me accountable? I struggle with this sometimes. And we, know, we will pray for you. We will encourage you because we love you. Amen? 
the secrecy of it is what makes it so prevalent right now. I was a men's ministry pastor for years, and there were so many guys that would come and confess they were struggling with it. And no doubt in a room this size, there's some guys in here struggling with it. Go to a brother and say, will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Okay, because it's only going to bring destruction to, to your walk with the Lord, your marriage, if you're married, the, the marriage that's coming if you're not. Don't, don't dabble with that stuff. It'll bring harm. It says strife and envy. What is strife and envy? It's rooted in pride and, self, and self, selfishness. Love is selflessness, and pride and envy is selfishness. And God desires that we not be proud, that we boast in nothing but in Him. Amen? Last verse. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord. Sanctification process. Being transformed in His image and likeness. Being clothed in His righteousness. And as we're putting Him on, we're to make no provision for the flesh. One of the lies your flesh tells you, and I've said this before, is you just got to do this one more time and you'll be satisfied. Your flesh ever told you that? I've heard it. Biggest lie going, right? Your flesh will never be satisfied. You do not destroy the flesh by feeding it. Ever. You starve it. Amen? When you feed the flesh, it only grows. We're to put the flesh to death. We're to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow the Lord. And we are not to feed it. Desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Read your Bible and pray every day and it'll be amazing how much victory you have over your flesh in your daily walk with God. Feed yourself spiritually, and when the temptation comes, see God's face, and He will help you. The Bible says He is faithful to make a way of escape, isn't He? You know it when you sin, don't you? Be honest. Do you know when you're about to sin before you sin? I do. And sadly, I often choose to sin anyway. It breaks my heart every time. Then conviction follows, and praise God for that. And He restores us. And he's a gracious and a loving God. Walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I have found for myself, I can only keep my mind on one thing at a time. And if I'm focused on the Lord, I'm not going to be checking out the girls walking down the street. Amen? If I'm focused on the Lord, I'm not going to be bad-mouthing my boss. If I'm focused on the Lord, I'm not going to be lying and cheating and stealing. I'm not going to be resisting paying my taxes. I'm not going to do those things. If I'm focused on the Lord and it's all eternal and God, it all belongs to you and you're a faithful God and I love you and I'm going to follow you no matter what and you are the one who's in control at all times and you are sovereign and my boss is a jerk but you put him in my life so I'm going to pray for him. Amen? And you know what? My, my husband sometimes, my wife sometimes, my children sometimes, my parents sometimes, but Lord, I trust you. And I know that you want me to pray for them and be a Christ-like example to them, not moan and complain about them. Amen? God desires that we show that supernatural love. So in review, a heart of submission is learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. It's submitting to those in authority, the government officials, the boss at work, your parents, your husband, esteeming others greater than yourself, and in anticipation of our Savior's soon return. The things that I found to be such major things when I was a little kid, I look back now and I laugh. I thought it was so major if I wasn't invited to so-and-so's birthday party when I was eight. You know what I mean? I thought it was so major if I was sick and missed out on one football game, life was going to end, Right? The things I thought were so important, I look back now and I realize, that's chaff. It didn't mean anything. Do you know what? The things that you and I find so important here and now will mean nothing in eternity. 
Amen? The things that we strive for, the things we spend our time on, the things that we pursue with great passion will mean nothing on Judgment Day. Won't mean anything. But we can have things that we do here and now that will have an impact on eternity. Amen? We can reach out to those who are lost. We can minister truth. We can be the one who goes into an office where everybody's contentious and everybody's angry and everybody's bitter and everybody's just upset and doesn't think things are fair and we can go in and be salt and light and say, you know what, it's okay, God's in control. Let's pray for him. Our boss is a jerk. Yeah, well, sometimes, but let's pray for him. What? Let's pray for him. May we be like that in our office, amen? May we reflect the love of God when nobody else has it because that was well, that will draw people to the Lord. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's the love of God in us that will share the love of God with the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that no matter what is going on in our lives, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you are sovereign and you are faithful. Lord, I pray for those who are here that are going through a difficult time. Lord, that they would put their eyes on you and they would trust you that it would not result in rebellion, but Lord, it would result in rejoicing and, getting, and just seeking your face and drawing near to you. Lord, I pray if there's those who are here that have difficulties in their marriage, the Lord, that you would call each of them, that the husband will be submitted to you and the wife would learn to submit to her husband. Lord, I pray for children who may have difficulty with their parents, the Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would help them to see their parents as God-ordained, and Lord, they would submit to their parents. Help us all to submit to those government officials you've placed over us. Lord, even when we don't agree with them, help us to pray for them, to pray for their salvation, to pray for that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray for bosses at work or co-workers or people around us, Lord. Help us to submit to those authorities as well. And Lord, to pray for them and to be a Christ-like example to them, knowing, Lord, that you put us exactly where we are for a reason. Lord, we trust you. We're so glad that we don't go through this stuff alone. You're such a faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.